0: Welcome back, everybody. This is Crime Culture, and I am Caitlin. Yeah. I'm Haley. I was going to say, and Haley's just not going to introduce herself, I guess. Nope. Um, <laughs> mystery. And you have to guess who the co-host is. Hint, don't look in the info. Um, <laughs> or the cover art. Yes, none of it. Um, so, yeah. So, with the Oscars coming up, we're going to talk about the murder of Jeffrey Franklin... And for those of you who don't know this story, I don't think many people will just because it's relatively I knew about it because I was living in the area at the time. It takes place in upstate New York and I was in southeast Connecticut, southwest Connecticut, southwest Connecticut. Whoops. Mm-hmm. So. It, it doesn't make sense right now, but you will see. Okay. So Jeffrey J.R. Franklin was born in 2000 in Binghamton, New York. He was called J.R. because of the initials of his first name, Jeffrey, and his biological mother's last name. Mm -hmm. And because Jeffrey's mother had special needs, she wasn't able to care for him. And so first he was raised by other family members and he was kind of bounced around. Um, And this included his aunt, Jennifer Austin, and unfortunately, Jennifer and her family—they loved him dearly, but they were not able to care for him, along with all, like alongside all of their other children. Mm-hmm. Couldn't afford it, couldn't do it. Um, so ultimately, he was put into the foster care system and put up for adoption. Mm-hmm. And like his mother, Jeffrey suffered from developmental disorders. Uh, this included being on the autism spectrum. He suffered from chronic incontinence and had to wear pull-ups to bed every night. He Mm -hmm. was nonverbal, he was hearing and mobility impaired, and despite having difficulty communicating because of being nonverbal, he only knew a small amount of sign language, so Mm -hmm. even then he couldn't really communicate. Yeah. However, he was a really loving kid, and he would hug strangers just randomly on the street without a second thought, Mm -hmm. and ask people if they would share their french fries with him at baseball games. Mm -hmm. And his aunt said, quote, he signed with everybody. He loved everybody. Even the people that hurt him, he loved, end quote. Mm. So Jeffrey liked trains. He actually had a toy train set and he enjoyed taking train rides and going on tours and things like that. Um, His favorite Halloween costume as a child was the Nintendo character Mario, which he loved so much (laughs) that he wore the mustache that came with the costume to school for a month. (laughs) Yes. that's so cute it's very cute <laughs> he also liked cartoons and watching 3d movies mm, okay um unfortunately while he was in the foster care system he suffered abuse at all three of his foster home placements over the course mm. of 10 years um he or three out of the four yeah. Um, he would come to school with bruises and it was just really not a good situation and again he's nonverbal so he can't really tell anybody about it either. Yeah. That's so sad. Yeah. So finally he was adopted in 2013 when he was about 12 years old by a couple named Ernest and Heather Franklin of Guilford, New York, which is about 55 miles southeast, about 190 miles north of, southeast of Syracuse, north of Manhattan. Okay. So, Ernest was an Army vet. He joined straight out of high school a month before 9-11 and had PTSD issues after, specifically depression. Mm. Um, And he and his wife, Heather, were really desperate to have a child, but were unable to have any biological children. So, soon after their marriage in April 2011, they signed up to be foster parents and were very excited when Jeffrey was placed with them as a foster child soon after. Mm-hmm. And they had other foster children, but Jeffrey was the one that they chose to adopt in 2013. Um, Heather even knew some sign language, which allowed her to be able to at least in some way communicate with her son. Mm-hmm. And she soon announced on Facebook after his adoption that she would be dedicating all of her time and energy to homeschooling him. Wow. Yeah,
1: that's quite Jeff- a that's quite a task to like take on. Not even somebody who is developmentally disabled but somebody who is almost completely nonverbal besides like some signing and and right like going from having no children to having such a such a special strong needs child yeah like yeah. that's it
0: takes a very strong person to be able to do that oh yeah oh yeah um so jeffrey's aunt recalled that one time before he was adopted, she asked him if he wanted a mom and a dad that he didn't have to share. Mm-hmm. And he immediately and excitedly signed yes. So he didn't so, want any siblings? No, it was that he wanted parents of his own. Like he was being raised by aunts and uncles and yeah, foster yeah, parents, yeah. but not like a mom and a dad. Okay. Um, so a few weeks after Jeffrey was adopted by the Franklins the Austins received a call asking how to prevent Jeffrey from opening doors because he had figured out how to open up the couple's chicken coop and kept opening it. (laughs) God. Um, But that was the last Jennifer and her family heard about Jeffrey until she stumbled across his obituary five years later. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So on the night of March 1st, 2017, a fire caused by leaving the door open on a wood-burning stove burned the franklin's double wide trailer to the ground Mm. at 12 7 a.m a neighbor told the authorities the lights were on at the franklin home and there weren't any signs of a fire there so this happened sometime after midnight and as the fire raged the couple was not at home okay um and again jeffrey cannot take care of himself by himself he's 16 years old but he is the size of a 10 year old yeah um, and he has the mentality of a small child, yeah, yeah exactly um so Ernest later told the police that he was chasing down his dogs at the time the fire started before arriving home, and at around one fourteen a m he knocked on his neighbor Dominic Gildersleeve's door, begging them to call nine one one to report the fire mm-hmm. uh Heather, who was at the, at the time twenty seven weeks pregnant with the couple's first biological child said she left the house at around 11.30 p.m. and was driving around for what ended up being nearly three hours shopping for Benadryl because she could not sleep. Wow. Okay. Weird. Yes. Um, She said that she stopped at the Walmart in Norwich, New York, before returning to the area near their home around 12.45, 12.46 a.m. Mm -hmm. And then she drove to the Price Chopper in Sydney, New York, then she drove allegedly to around Bainbridge and Coventry, New York, before returning to the scene of the fire by two eighteen a.m. At which point it was raging in full force. Yeah, um, the furnace ended up the furnace ended up exploding. It was just a complete mess. Jesus. Um, I feel like this is also though where I should mention the Heather. This means that she drove over two counties. And a total of about 70 miles that night. Yeah. And you
1: know, when you go to like a pharmacy or something and they don't have something, you can ask them to like call a different pharmacy and see if they have it. You don't have to drive like a million miles for something. Like
0: that's fucking crazy. Especially if you're you're pregnant. People will do anything for you. You're pregnant. It's the middle of the night on a Tuesday. And she's doing all of this driving But she said that she did this not because they were out but because she was looking for the best deal on benadryl that's bullshit what's more bullshit is that evidence later showed that she didn't even go down the aisles where the benadryl was kept
1: oh yeah because obviously if they look at the tapes from all of the places that she went to they could see exactly where she was right ah furthermore
0: while heather was gone um gildersleeve had his aunt call her to let her know about the fire And Heather missed the call, and when she called back, she left Gildersleeve's aunt a voicemail, apologizing, saying that it was late, and, quote, I hope everything's okay, end quote. Hmm. Gildersleeve later said that the message sounded rehearsed. Okay. So when the first responders arrived at the scene, Heather wasn't there yet, um, but Ernest was there and eerily calm, and he allegedly, quote, pointed to the room where Jeffrey was lying, end quote, To show them where his son was, but he himself, quote, had no physical injuries from any attempt to try to save him, end quote. And Mm. this is according to Chenango County District Attorney Joseph McBride. Okay. So when Heather arrived, witnesses, including Gildersleeves, saw her crying in her husband's arms and asking if their animals, which included not just the chickens and not just the dogs, but also cats, turkeys, goats, cows, and geese, She asked if they made it out okay, and what were they going to do? Mm. There was no mention of Jeffrey. Very, very weird. Yes. Unfortunately, Jeffrey was found dead in his bed. Um, He had died at 16. Uh, McBride said, quote, the victim was badly burned. End quote, and that Jeffrey's body suffered, quote, 100% burns, end quote, mm. which effectively made it impossible for pathologist Dr. James Terzian of Lord's Hospital in Binghamton, New York, to make a complete external examination during the autopsy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: However, during his examination, Dr. Terzian did find that there was no smoke or soot in Jeffrey's mouth, airway, or lungs, meaning that he was not breathing when the fire started. Yeah. And there was a 2% carbon monoxide level in his blood, but an average person's level is typically under 5%, meaning okay. he didn't inhale carbon monoxide. Yeah. It was then determined by Dr. Terzian that Jeffrey was not alive before the fire started. Yeah. So they maybe the fire was kind of an act. Can you do me to, a favor? What? Z- Shut the fuck up? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, So the night of the fire, Ernest and Heather had been at the local movie theater seeing the 2016 Kenneth Lonergan film, Manchester by the Sea, which had just won two Oscars for best actor and best screenplay. And this happened just like a few days before. So there was a lot of notoriety surrounding the film. So they went to go see it. Mm -hmm. Um, In this movie, the main character, Lee Chandler, who's played by Casey Affleck, Affleck, Mm-hmm. And his wife, played by Michelle Williams, lose their three children in a house fire that Lee mistakenly caused by setting a fire in the fireplace while he was drunk and high. Failed to put up the screen that goes in front of the fire. And a log ended up rolling out of the fire um, while he was out of the house going to get groceries. Some of that information sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. All <laughs> All right.
1: Lee and his bode well
0: Lee arrived to his wife who was sleeping downstairs because she was sick standing outside screaming and he just stood there with groceries just shocked and the three children were sleeping upstairs so they all died in the fire Mm. and in the film the police do not charge Lee for the deaths of his children saying that a person cannot be charged for an accidental crime And also implying that Lee was being punished enough for his negligence by losing his kids. Okay. So when the couple returned home after the movie ended at about 2.30 p.m., it's believed that they murdered Jeffrey using, quote, violent means, end quote, after which the couple intentionally left their wood-burning stoves door open in order to burn down the house and destroy any evidence against them. Yeah. Yeah. The fire traveled forty feet from the stove, going up the attic before flames began to drop down into Jeffrey's room. And within two hour quote within two hours of that movie playing into this defendant, oh, within two hours of that movie playing to this defendant end quote said McBride quote Jeffrey's deceased yeah end quote. They later said that they killed their son. Wait, um, prosecution later said that okay. they killed their son. Because he was becoming, he was, quote, becoming too much to handle. And that Ernest had confessed to an inmate while in custody that this was why they had killed him as well. But then his defense was trying to say, no, he didn't say that. Heather, however. That's like bullshit. Like, I hate it when, like, this isn't
1: the first case that we've heard that someone is murdered because it's inconvenient for somebody else. Like
0: I hate case- Anthony. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I hate cases like this. It's like, like all the stories you hear, it's more common in, um, with like animals, like somebody doesn't want a dog anymore. So they just drive into the middle of nowhere yeah. and like oh, let God, it out, don't. leave it on the side <sighs> of the road. Like I hate that. That's bullshit. There are yeah. other ways
0: to handle this stuff. <laughs> well, and it's funny you say that because Gildersleeves. So after the, after the death of Jr gildersleeves set up a gofundme page and heather would comment and be like this is what our family needs thank you all so much for donating Mm -hmm. um and like thank you dominic for helping um i don't know how i'm going to like i have nothing to do now that i don't have all of my time being taken up by taking care of jr yeah like nothing, like I miss him. Just like I don't know what to do with my time now, yeah. Because exactly. I spent all of it selflessly caring for my son. Yeah, before um, I murdered him. Yeah. So when it, so when it all came out, Gildersleeves actually said first of all he was getting criticized because he first of all had two children on the autism spectrum. Okay. Um, but he so that was getting to him first and foremost. But he was like if. You felt you couldn't care for him anymore, then put him back in the system because that's awful, but it's better than doing what you did.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, he would and, still be alive. Yes, so exactly. And he better would find than- a
0: family who would care for him and love him appropriately. Yeah. Um, he also got a lot of flack because people were like, why would you support these murderers? Why would you like after the fact? People were demanding their money back, and GoFundMe was trying as fast as they could to return the money, but then he was getting, because he didn't know any of this, he was getting, like, a lot of shit for it. Uh Uh-huh. But, yeah. um, Despite whether or not Ernest's confession was true, uh, Heather had complained a lot about JR on Facebook. um, Also to the neighbors about the toll being taken on the couple by caring for him. Mm -hmm. one time heather vented to gildersleeve whose children were like i said also on the spectrum so she vented to him as like oh you get this yeah yeah um she said that the couple ended up having to put an alarm on jr's door because he kept sneaking out of his room in the middle of the night and making a mess um at one point he painted all over the kitchen with ketchup oh okay and Gildersleeve said, quote, whenever she talked about Jr., she was just very bitter, end quote. Mm. So then there was the question of whether or not this pregnancy that was this miracle baby influenced the couple's decision to kill Jeffrey. Um, this isn't known. Acting Chenango County District Attorney Michael Ferris said, quote, we'll never know for sure, end quote. However, it can be said that when Heather announced her pregnancy on Facebook by posting the sonogram, um, she was excited to talk about her and her husband's feelings. She was saying, oh, like, he's camera shy, just like his daddy and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But not once was there any mention of Jr. Yeah. And this family started out when they adopted him, posts about him with his family and their new puppy and all, like everything was about Jr. Yeah, yeah. So, 3 weeks after JR's death, the couple was arrested and charged with second-degree murder, third-degree arson, and tampering with physical evidence. Heather was later released on bail on April 20 in, in April 2017, after which she gave birth to her and Ernest's child. Mhm. Ernest's trial began on February 28, 2019, 2 years after Jeffrey Mur- Jeffrey's murder. One tidbit of this trial that I found hilarious was that Ernest's lawyer, Veronica Gorman, said that the prosecution's theory of a plot between the Franklins to murder Jeffrey and burn the evidence was, quote, too criminally sophisticated, end quote. So she's saying they're dumb. She said it was too criminally sophisticated for a, quote, salt of the earth man like her client. She's like, my client is too dumb to think up something like this. Yes, that's literally what <laughs> she. And it's funny you say that because that's almost exactly what's in my notes, except I swap dumb for stupid. Yep. Um, t- it, that's literally what she was saying. And first of all, Ernest Franklin's just in there like, uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And, I'm, I'm dumb. Yep. I'm stupid. <laughs> um, but also she is right. Kenneth Lonergan thought it up, not the Franklins. They just borrowed his idea.
1: Yeah, they just saw and it and were like,
0: "Hey, that worked for them. Hey, someone thought of it for us." Woo. <laughs> like, like it, it, it truly like you know, it's bad when your lawyers just their last resort is, "Hey, he's an idiot." Yep. Um. Though clearly she's not wrong. He is an idiot, but for other reasons. Yeah. Uh, Gorman also argued that her client and his wife had a very close relationship with JR and never regarded him simply as their adopted son, which if you have to say that, then that's probably exactly what's going on is the, oh, my adopted child
1: yeah if you have to be like oh he's not my child he's my
0: adopted child like that's fucked up no she's saying oh but they didn't think of him as my adopted child they thought of him as my child i'm like if you have to say (laughs) yeah i'm that's what i'm saying that's that should be with that should go without saying if you have to say that then clearly that's not what's going on yeah yeah that's true like i i think i've talked about this before as a personal example my sister is adopted and If I were to tell you how embarrassingly the amount of times I have, like, needed to know, for example, like, her allergies for a doctor's appointment Mm -hmm. and just needing to know these things and then being like, oh, you guys aren't biologically related, like... That's the kind of thing she's my sister it's yeah there's no like oh my sister like the only time I mention that she's adopted is when people see a picture and she's from South Korea and they yeah. just go <laughs> and, and for those who it haven't kind of seen makes me since <laughs> yes I was gonna say for those who have not seen me I am decidedly not South Korean yeah um
1: your and whole, so that's
0: your whole like your parents and your brother my lineage is white yes. like I like if you were to ancestry.com me it would just be the whitest of white. And it, it's just like, that's not, that's not what you do. That's not, if, if this, if, if he was really a part of their family, that wouldn't even be up for discussion. Yeah, exactly. Um, but
1: it's like, it's like bullshit because, um, like, there are people, like, garbage people that will adopt and then, like, that child is kind of like a placeholder child. And then once they are able to have their own biological child. It's like
0: fuck this kid. <laughs> and that's kind of how ob obvi- like like they said or like I mentioned earlier, they don't know for sure. However, that wouldn't shock me. Yeah. Um based on their actions. Yeah, yeah. Just like no. But um so On March 8th, 2019, after an hour and 40 minutes of deliberation, the jury found Ernest guilty and convicted him of second-degree murder, third-degree arson, and tampering with physical evidence, and he was later sentenced to 21 years to life in prison. Mm -hmm. About a month later, on April 3rd, 2019, Heather pleaded guilty to first-degree manslaughter, third-degree arson, and tampering with physical evidence, and she was sentenced to serve all of her convictions consecutively, which would equate to a maximum of 11 years in state prison. Mm-hmm. Which I feel like isn't long enough. But okay. Yeah, yeah you
1: murdered a child because it was easier for you. Because you were than- having a
0: baby. Yeah. It, or because it was too difficult to handle. But again, like, bullshit excuses. Yeah. Um. So after the couple was convicted... Reese told reporters, quote, I would like to thank all the law enforcement, the sheriff's office, Chenango County Fire Investigation, New York State Police, and all the scientists and doctors involved in bringing justice for Jeffrey. Mm. So they're currently serving out their terms. Um, they were they were just convicted. Like this is all very recent, um, not even a year ago. And so, yeah. So that's the crime story, um, but to give some background on Manchester by the Sea, because it really is just a problem movie, um, the movie has a 7.8 out of 10 on IMDb, an 83% Google score, and a 96% Tomato Meter score, and a 78% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, and the critics' consensus is, quote, Manchester by the Sea delivers affecting drama populated by full-bodied characters, marking another strong step forward for writer-director Kenneth Lonergan. However, hmm. despite the rave reviews, there's some controversy to do with the film. Beyond this, the murder happens later, but yeah. um at the time, so in 2010, two women who worked on the set of the, some people might remember, the Joaquin Phoenix mockumentary, I'm Still Here. Remember, like, he went out on talk shows and things like that, and he was just out of his mind, and people were like, oh, he's having a psychotic break, uh-huh. when in actuality, it was all to show, like, how obsessive and crazy people were about celebrities, and he was fooling everybody. Uh-huh. Um. So, this mockumentary was directed and produced by Affleck. And the women sued him, Affleck, for sexual harassment. One sued him for $2 million. The other sued him for two point five. million. Mm-hmm. So Affleck settled both of the lawsuits out of court. But the accusations resurfaced in the news during awards season after Manchester by the Sea gained all this notoriety. So at the time that the suits were filed, Affleck denied the claims and threatened to actually countersue them. And his attorney initially told People Magazine, quote, the complaint will be vigorously defended and cross claims will be filed. However, Affleck never did counter sue. Because mm-hmm. he didn't have a fucking case. Yeah. Um. For example, one of the things that he did was he climbed into bed with one of the women while she was asleep and tried <laughs> to get her to have sex with him. And when she said no, he very roughly grabbed her by the arm and tried to convince her. Um, another yeah, time, both creepy. of the women. Oh, it gets creepier. Another time, both of the women were locked in a room by Phoenix and Affleck, and they tried to get them to have sex with them. Ugh. Yeah, just really gross. And I pity Rooney Mara. Um. So, during fast forwarding, during his acceptance speech for best act for the best actor Golden Globe for Manchester by the Sea, Affleck then. People were kind of talking about this, and I'll get into why in a minute. But Affleck also, rather than being like keeping his fucking mouth shut, he brought up the situation by alluding to the, quote, noise, end quote, that comes with fame,
1: which (laughs) some people
0: were like, oh, he's referencing the lawsuits and all of the press that was surrounding them and is surrounding him now. Uh Uh-huh. It was also noted that Brie Larson, who had won the Golden Globe for Best Actress for her portrayal of a kidnapping and rape victim in the film Room the previous year.
1: Love her. Love that
0: that movie. Love her. Perfect. Absolute queen. Nothing but respect for my Captain Marvel. However, so for those who don't know award shows, for those who aren't familiar with the Golden Globes or for any of these for that matter, the Oscars, any of it. It's customary for the opposite gender winner of the award previously to award the that year's winner with the announce to announce who won and to give them their award. So for is example, is that really how it works?
1: I, did, I really didn't know that. That's really how it
0: works. Yes, that is really how it works. So, for example, if Brie Larson won best actress in 2016, the following year in 2017, she would award the 2017 Best Actor his award.
1: Oh, and, okay. Yeah. All right. I didn't know that's how it worked.
0: Yep. So typically what's normal to do is you announce it and then you give them a hug, you shake their hand, whatever, you congratulate them in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, In addition to being in the film room and giving such a powerful performance, Brie Larson is also a huge supporter of the Me Too movement. And when she gave Casey Affleck his award, she did not hug or even so much as shake the hand of him. Shake his hand when she gave him his award. And yeah, she kind of had like a stank
1: face. Yeah, because he's an accused uh, rapist. Well, yeah, well, sex offender. Sexual, or, yeah, sexual assaulter. Sec- yeah, harasser. sexual harasser. And um, she's like one of the faces of this huge... Movement like a big supporter yeah.
0: of it, so like yeah, obviously, oh no, it she's makes total going... sense. Yeah, but I don't people blame her. outlets and people picked up on it very quickly. Yeah, no shit. Um, she did not try to hide her disgust for him. You can look this up on YouTube. It's it's kind of comical the way that she's just like absolutely not active bitch. Um, face. Yes, active bitch face. Like, nearly no, if any enthusiasm when she reads his name as the winner. Like, just. Completely just a no. Yeah. Um. So, according to Time Magazine, many critics had argued that giving Affleck an Oscar would lead him to gaining more power, money, and influence in Hollywood. And yep. that rewarding a man who abused women would perpetuate a cycle of sexism in the industry. Mm-hmm. So, one of the leaders of the Time's Up movement, actress Constance Wu, wrote in a series of tweets about Affleck saying, quote, he's running for an award that honors a craft whose purpose is examining the dignity of the human experience, and young women are deeply human. Mm-hmm. End quote. She then went on to suggest that the clout of the Affleck family has kept some people silent in Hollywood. Um, this also includes Matt Damon, Ben Affleck's best friend, who produced Manchester by the Sea. And I don't remember if it was Ben Affleck or Matt Damon. I want to say it was Matt Damon, actually contacted one of Harvey Weinstein's accusers because they were great friends of his. He was one of the first people to produce their movies. Mm-hmm. Um, basically saying, you don't want to do this. Like, yeah. thinly veiled threats. Yep. Um, Constance Wu also tweeted, quote, I've been counseled not to talk about this for my career's sake. F my career, then. I'm a woman and human first. That's what my craft is built on, end quote. hmm So... Despite it being customary, Affleck, won, he won the award, but he did not present the Oscar for Best Actress the following year. Interesting. He, yes. So he later, I, I think it's got to do with less his decision and more the Academy's decision because of the yep. uproar. Yeah,
1: yeah, but, exactly. Um,
0: yeah, he later told the press, quote, I think stepping aside was the right thing to do, just given everything that was going on in our culture at the moment. And having two incredible women go present the best actress award felt like the right thing, end quote. He went on to finally admit that his behavior on set was unprofessional, quote, unprofessional. This is nearly 10 years later. Great. And he told the Associated Press, quote, first of all, that I was ever involved in a conflict that resulted in a lawsuit is something that I really regret, end quote. What? (laughs) Mm-hmm. That's that's the opposite of an I'm sorry. Yep. But anyway, he also said, quote, I wish I had found a way to resolve things in a different way. I hate that. I had never had any complaints like that made about me before in my life. And it was really embarrassing. And I didn't know how to handle it. And I didn't agree with everything, the way I was being described and the things that were said about me. But I wanted to try to make it right. So we made it right the way in the way that I was asked at the time. And we all agreed to just try to put it behind us and move on with our lives, which I think we deserve to do. And I want to respect them as they've respected me and my privacy. And that's that end quote. That entire quote, he doesn't acknowledge the
1: feelings of the women that accused him of anything. He's just saying, I felt like this. I
0: did this. I said that. Like Yeah. And also these women are like... You attempted to sexually assault us. And he goes, I'm sorry you feel that way. And it makes me really sad that somebody would accuse me of this because I've never been accused of this before. I've never been caught. And I'm really sad that I finally got caught.
1: I'm sorry that you felt like I was sexually harassing you when I climbed into your bed and aggressively grabbed you. like Propositioned you. Yes, I know.
0: Like, come. (sighs) people usually love it when I do that. Right. <laughs> I'm. Have you seen me? I'm definitely the hotter Affleck. I've been in movies. <laughs> Name one. A few. <laughs> <laughs> Manchester by the sea and no others. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. he. So he's truly he's just it, it's he's kind of like a sack of shit. Like not kind of he is he is a sack of shit.
1: Yeah, so this doesn't really have to do with the case, but it has to do with a movie that inspired the case, kind of.
0: Yes, it has to do with the movie that inspired the case, but then yes. I also just wanted to bring up that there were other controversial true crime issues surrounding About, the film. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, it's It goes beyond just, yes, this couple horrifically, not just chose to, but the way that they did it, to get rid of their child to murder their child yeah um is just despicable it's disgusting Mm -hmm. um but as if that's not bad enough like truly like manchester by the sea should just be made to disappear (laughs) like between that and all the stuff that's going down with or that was going down with casey affleck like it's just it's better if you don't is really what it comes down to yeah but yeah, so that's the whole that's the whole thing. I know this is a short one, but that's fine. That, yeah, it's that's fun the that whole thing happens. with Manchester by the Sea, and it's really like it's gross, but these women got justice. Um, Jr. got justice. So at the end of the day, I guess it's kind of a happy ending, um, even though Casey Affleck continues to have a career and to be treated with respect in Hollywood. And who knows, because these women's identities, I believe, were kept secret. Um, I wasn't able to find them, but I didn't, like, look super hard, I will admit, mm-hmm. um, because I was more focusing on the entire controversy, and I didn't want to focus too much on just the lawsuit that had happened so many years before. Yeah. But I believe, I, I like, I, I couldn't, I didn't really find their names, but I can't imagine that they have seen the same amount of work as they would have. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, unfortunate. Like, yeah. Because, um, like Constance Wu referenced, you upset an Affleck. You upset Matt Damon, who is an honorary Affleck. Yeah. that's You, you upset Harvey Weinstein's best friends, who are now like, oh, I didn't like him. Um, no, I didn't know anything that was going on. I had no idea. I mean, it's just... <sighs> That's a whole I, different mess. That's a whole different mess. Everybody knew. Like, yeah. everybody knew. Um, Unrelated, there's actually a really interesting story I read in this research. There's two, actually. One is that apparently Harvey Weinstein tried to sexually assault Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh. Which, yeah, I didn't know that. Um, And then I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, well, wasn't she, like, with one of, like, either Ben Affleck or Matt Damon or at some point? And I wasn't able to find that. But at the time, she was actually with Brad Pitt. Oh, And say what you want about Brad Pitt. I'm not a huge fan. I know plenty of other people who aren't, or I know people who are huge fans. However, he apparently went to Weinstein and physically and verbally threatened him if he were to ever attempt to assault Gwyneth Paltrow ever again. Oh, shit. Yeah. So, I was like, okay, you can do one thing right. You may or may not have beaten the shit out of your kid on a plane. However, however. Yeah. You defend so, a lady defend not just defend a lady defend a human like yeah from a predator um, yeah that's true and but gross. so yeah it's yeah the whole thing is gross he the real life job of the hut <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> and what's with this walker shit why is he where why is he using a
0: walker now did he age rapidly um i was reading a thing about that actually and it's because So, and you'll see it happened with Bill Cosby as well. During a lot of these serious lawsuits, the people on trial will try to gain sympathy by appearing to be frail, appearing to be sickly, appearing, so whether or not he actually is, we don't know, but this is a common tactic for guilty parties or people on trial in general. It's the same reason as why, like, let's say there's a girl on trial and she has like piercings and her hair is blue and all this other stuff. She comes into the trial. Her piercings are out. Her hair is like a nice neutral color. She is dressed in a nice button down and she's very like respectful and everything. Like you try to paint a picture to sway the jury and the judge.
1: Yeah. Not I, saying don't know it's if right. it's, I don't know if it's a case that we talked about or if it's one that I saw a documentary on, but I remember there was um, a case where the, um, the girl on trial was told to dress like uh, like a young like dress young to make it look like you're so much younger and then everyone will have sympathy for you and they're like, Oh, you don't wanna put like a young girl in jail.
0: Yeah, I wanna say that might have been Casey Anthony. Yeah, was it? I don't know. I think it was. I'm not positive. I know it she was, was, it was advised one of those on cases. how to how to dress and how to um, act. Act and how to, like, have her hair done in, in, like, a ponytail and, like, nice and all that other stuff. Didn't yeah. work, but... No. We all still fucking hated her. We just hated her and she was dressed nice. Like, it didn't <laughs> yeah. matter. But, yeah. Anyway. Um... But one other... This, this will actually kind of bring things back up a little, um, from, you know, like, the major downer that was this episode, despite it being so short. Um... There was another interesting fun fact that I found during Mm -hmm. my research. So while I was looking up Jeffrey Franklin, for whatever reason, well, not for whatever reason, I know why, but Jeff Franklin, the creator and producer of the American classic that gave us the one and only John Stamos, Full House, he came up. And so it was one of those things where like, I clicked on the Wikipedia page to see whether or not... It was J.R. Franklin. It was not. However, one of the first things I saw was that apparently Jeff Franklin actually bought Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski's house on Cielo Drive in 1994. Weird. Yeah. Um. And for those who don't know, haven't listened to that episode, what have you? That is the house where Sharon Tate was murdered by the Manson family, along with yeah. her friends and former fiance, and um. So, yeah, he bought it in 94 before it was demolished, and I tried to find a little bit more on that. Um, it appears that he is the one who had it demolished and then built a better house on top of it. Oh. Um, or not a better house, but, like, a new, n- no bad not juju house. Not haunted house. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but either way, like, small world. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. weird. I just I thought that was an interesting tidbit. I was like, ooh. Yeah. You never know. But yeah, so that is the murder of Jeffrey Frank- Franklin. And, and the connection to Manchester by the Sea and yes, then all and how, of that drama. Yes, and how much <laughs> Manchester, that's the story of how Manchester by the Sea sucks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so if you liked this episode, if you like our podcast in general, we have a Patreon. Yeah. I hear it's pretty dope. They offer some pretty cool things on that Patreon, those nice ladies that I've never met in my entire life. Yep. Um, you can donate for as little as a dollar and as much as you want, and there's yeah. gifts and accolades involved um, for every tier, and it's pretty fun. We forgot to do last year's January shoutouts, and for that I am sorry. Last year? You mean last month? Oh my god, Yes. This I is put why the, I put it at the end of the episode. Oh, you did? Yep. Elliot, can you take this out? <laughs> no, oh. we're leaving it in. It's all staying in. Oh. Our patrons know we love them. I, I hope they do. If you if you know, you know, if you don't, we love you. Um, either way, either way, whether you know or not, we love you. But um. yeah. And if you love us back, you can follow us on our social media. We yeah. are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, and then our website is crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. That's it. And our email and is crimeculturepod at gmail.com. Yes, send us things. We love to hear about like your stories or your own personal connections or your feedback in general. Um, you can also dm us on any of our platforms on instagram we are crime culture podcast um facebook we're crime culture podcast and then on twitter we are crime culture pod i believe because twitter has a character limit like idiots um yes and you can do whatever you want we actually just had a dm from um two we had a dm from janie recently whose 10 month old daughter was twerking it out to our theme song Ugh, which love it. Uh, honestly the cutest thing she's learning to walk she's 10 months old and she chose to dance to our song and when i tell you that there were tears um if anybody else loves our
1: theme song and wants please. to send us an instagram video of uh you dancing to it we'll put it in our our highlight
0: yes oh i would yes. love that
1: yes the Same. crime culture dance party Put it in your story and tag us and we will put it in our highlight.
0: Yeah. But yeah, either way, let us know what you think. Let us know if you have any stories you'd like to share. DM us. Blah, blah, blah. Yada, yada, yada. Um, Haley, are we missing anything? No, that's that sounds like that. Woo! Okay. Yeah. All right.
1: <laughs> For so. once, I got it all right. Yay! Woo! And with that... We will see you next Tuesday. Yeah, ye. Yeah. yeah. Bye. Bye.
0: I, that's as down. low as I think I can go. Huh? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah, a I lie. went down. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that doesn't sound good. All right, that's Bye. it. Bye. Hi, I'm Heather. And I'm Rhonda. And we're two wine-loving psych nerds who together host the bi-weekly podcast Wine Mind. Have you ever poured back a glass, or three, of wine and found yourself wondering, why do I love wine so much? What's the difference between a psychopath and a sociopath? Do I really have OCD? If so, then Wine Mind is the podcast for you. Every episode, we choose a different psychology question to answer and pair it with a bottle of wine. Because wine, wine is awesome.
1: Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher,
0: Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. And check out our website at winemindpodcast.com. You can also find us on the social medias as at winemindpodcast. Join us and uncork your brain. Cheers. Cheers!